Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Episode 313 of the Bowery Boys. The Straw Hat Riot of 1922. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Support for the Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. We are starting out here with our brand new twice-a-week schedule. Yes, this is a new Bowery Boys episode released three or four days after the last one. But going forward for the foreseeable future, every Tuesday and Friday here, you'll get a brand new Bowery Boys episode in your feed. And if you're saying right now, what? What are you talking about? We, we made this announcement in the last episode on New York's Jack the Ripper. Uh, check that out if you haven't already. But Greg and I are both recording remotely during this particular time of social distancing. But we decided instead of pulling back, um, we were actually going to give you more episodes that will hopefully inform and also entertain and, let's face it, even distract you during this rather strange and difficult period. Yes. So... We were rummaging through our lists of podcast ideas here because all of a sudden we've got more shows, you know, trying to come up with a good first subject that something we've always wanted to talk about, but maybe it wasn't complex enough to feature in a full scale episode. And listener, we came across a real life historical event that actually it's perfect for this show and it actually sounds like something we made up. But we didn't. This is an actual incident from 1922 that was referred to as the, quote, Straw Hat Riot. Now, this particular riot lasted for several days here in New York, longer than many of the more famous deadly riots, like the Civil War draft riots, for example. And here's another thing. The, the name Straw Hat Riot was not actually some sort of cute euphemism. No, no. For instance, it's not like the Brooks Brothers riot. Do you remember that, Tom? So that was from like the year 2000. It was during the Bush-Gore election. And this was a, quote, riot about the Florida vote recount at the time. But it was not literally a riot about Brooks Brothers suits. Although I think, Greg, that that kind of Brooks Brothers riot would have involved a lot of boss tweeds. Oh, Does that even work? Yes. (laughs) Expect more clothing puns on the way. Because you're not sitting across from me. I can't see. You know, I can't gauge your face. (laughs) 
We've boss, never recorded like this before. Yes. How about that? Yes. Okay. Includes more bosses tweeds. <laughs> anyway, so the Brooks Brothers riot was not about suits. Right. But the straw hat riot was quite literally about straw hats. There have been so many different kinds of controversial garments on this planet. Ladies bloomers, like a history of them, like ladies bloomers and mm-hmm. mini skirts, bikinis, baggy jeans, stonewashed jeans. <laughs> on many occasions, I have personally wanted to ride over skinny jeans, but I have refrained. Yeah, I can imagine the great skinny jean ride of 2020. No, but no, who would have thought that people would actually react so strongly to straw hats that they would riot in 1922? I mean, what was the big deal here? Yes, early 20th century here. We're talking a period where men and women in daily life wore hats in public. In terms of men's fashion in the late 19th century, it was essentially suits and jackets, sometimes vests, Mm -hmm. with very little variance of color. Hats actually became really popular starting in the mid to late 19th century, and were often, depending on the hat, were often signatures of a class or group. So there were certain hats for the wealthy, like top hats, right? Mm -hmm. And middle class men would be wearing, what, bowler hats? Bowler hats, Mm -hmm. yes, derbies, perhaps. The bowler was the dominant form of everyday hat for a working man and was often associated with finance, publishing. You know, if you're looking at a picture of men from, say, 1920, you're seeing a sea of bowlers. And those bowlers were mostly made of felt, right? Yes. And the fit was tight. It was as we're talking about a snug fit here. Which you can imagine would have been really uncomfortable, you know, during the hot New York summers to have that hat sort of snug on your over your head. I'm kind of sweating just thinking about it. (laughs) Well, which is why it then became acceptable to wear straw hats in the Uh summer, you know, from the 1890s here into the 1920s. They actually became a fashion craze for both men and women. Women had their own particular kind of straw hat. For men, they wore what were called boaters, which were rigid hats with flat tops and a fabric band around them. Okay. Now, when I was a kid, Greg, I had like a straw style cowboy hat if you can imagine mm-hmm. that that's not what we're talking about worth it we're talking more about like if you can imagine like barbershop quartet hats right Those i was about to hats. say yes i was about to say that's probably the best known image also perhaps think like dick van dyke in mary <laughs> poppins or Got anyway that, you know that kind of look these are a very uniform hat very light much more comfortable Yes. And it, and in the warmer weather, then it wasn't just only the hats that changed, because suits would also be made with lighter fabrics like linens in the yes. summer. Yes. And yet still, the kind of collective effect. So imagine if every man of you know a certain class or like a, on college campuses, for instance, imagine just the collective effect here of every guy pretty much wearing the same thing. So there was this understanding that dressing this way was promoting propriety, uniformity. It was even seen as unmanly to wear something that made you stand out in a crowd. Well, that 
standing out in a crowd was the job of women's fashion. Of course, we're not talking about dandies who were making a point of standing out in a crowd and Mm -hmm. were in many circles ostracized for that reason. But we're just talking the daily wear of the city, okay, on the streets of the city and in terms of this show on the date 1922. So then if the clothing choices that you're wearing are not very flexible, I can also imagine that there wasn't much leeway, you know, in terms of when you wore certain items. There were a lot more kind of social codes that you needed to follow. The most famous example of this, of course, that like a lot of us still know and some people still practice is the old adage of not wearing white after Labor Day. Well, and I'm guessing that has to do with the weather, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, white clothes are our most likely lighter fabric and Labor Day is at the start of fall. But there's also a class subtext here, actually. These rules were followed and applied by mostly wealthy people, of course. Well, and rewinding back to the early 1900s, most people didn't have a lot of clothing choices. I mean, their their closets and dressers, you know, for many, especially working Americans and New Yorkers, were probably pretty limited. And the places they lived didn't have massive closets, even if they did have the clothes, right? Uh, Women who were wearing white during this period were, in essence, showing off that they had a diversity of outfits, a diversity of wardrobe, that they didn't do manual work, that they didn't need to wear dirty clothes, and that they had the ability even to escape to a weekend getaway or home, and that that these were their kind of leisure ensembles. Okay, so... That's the no white clothing thing after September 7th. And I'm gathering then that there was some sort of similar, you know, analogous rule in place for the summer straw hat. It actually was absurdly exact, believe it or not. Now, I spent a lot of time here in my sequestration here going through and trying to find kind of various dates for this because the date would kind of move around and would also vary slightly from region to region. But generally speaking, by the 1910s, what they called Straw Hat Day was generally speaking in mid-May. I saw a lot of May 8th, May 15th, for example. And then in September, most frequently on September 15th, but also sometimes the week before and whatever, a little bit after, September 15th was known as Felt Hat Day. Which was the day that you switched over to felt, to your your other hat. Now, no surprise that being a kind of summer hat, that it would be associated with sporting events. And it would be at sporting events in particular where you would see a sea of straw hats from the very moment mid-May came along. And of course, you had a lot of baseball games by that by that time. Uh, to quote the New York Times from May 5th, 1916, quote, Provided May 13th is a clear day, it will probably mark the opening of the straw hat season. <laughs> Stores are making preparations for an earlier and much heavier demand. Okay, so straw hat season. I mean, this is mm-hmm. really sounding official. Official as a, as a fad can be. Um, and in a city as fashionable as New York, that's pretty strict. According to this 
wonderful old journal of hat makers from the start of the century named <laughs> American Hatter Magazine. You know I loved looking through this. Yes, right? if anybody <laughs> is wondering what Greg is doing locked up in his apartment, it is thumbing through American Hatter. <laughs> Turn of the century hat journals. Okay, so quote, before the 15th of May, no one except the notoriety seeker would publicly wear a straw hat. Then the retailer can get into the straw hat game in earnest. But before that date, the hat trade will gain by many thousands of dollars if it will exclude the straw hat from publicity and devote windows to agitating the tale of the felt hat season. Okay, so Amer- American Hatter is pointing out here that there is a whole business consideration at play here um, mm-hmm. for the stores as well, because felt hats were more expensive. They were bigger money makers, probably, yeah. than those cheaper straw hats. Right. Money is always the driving force, and that is that is true. So then September 15th was, quote, mm-hmm. felt hat day, a day when yes. you put away the straw hat uh, until the next spring. It's Yes, time to get serious. Here comes the fall. And woe to those who failed to heed this fashion advice. Because like that old custom about getting pinched if you don't wear green on St. Patrick's Day, I know, hated that when I was a kid, this custom was often enforced by mischievous younger men and boys who Mm. exaggerated the social rules in ways that were destructive. Or as the New York Times described, quote, hat enforcement is left to boys and others with undeveloped minds who delight in destruction for its own sake. <laughs> undeveloped minds. Not, yes. That is not condescending at all. But these, these young undeveloped minds, these young rabble rousers were actually the mm-hmm. enforcers here. As in like, put away your straw hat for the season or these guys are going to take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. There are instances of straw hat snatching and smashing with less than friendly intentions. It reports of this that began popping up in, in the media as early as the early 1900s in various cities. In fact, it prompted in 1910 one Pittsburgh journalist to write, quote, It is all right for stockbrokers on the exchanges to destroy one another's hats if they like, on the principle that everything goes among friends. But no man likes to have his hat snatched from his head by somebody he has not yet been introduced to. I should think not. All of these moments, Tom, would pale in comparison to incidents from the year 1922. Um, No, on May 15th, 1922. May 15th. Which yes. I'd, I guess be the, the the first day of the straw hat season. Right, the day they came into fashion. Actually, an article ran in the Brooklyn Standard Union on that date, quote, Fashion decrees that straw hats must be donned May 15th until September 15th. After the latter date, anyone seen with a straw hat is liable to be made an object of ridicule. Harsh words are hurled at him, and sometimes his hat. But when September 15th came around, it would be much more than just harsh words hurled at the style offender. They would take to the street, and we will get to the straw hat riot of 1922 after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. 
Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Okay, well, Greg, I'm going to take us to the formidable events of September 1922. But strangely, we're not actually going to go to September 15th, but rather a few days before the big felt hat date. I want to take us to Lower Manhattan on Wednesday, September 13th, 1922. All right, so the 13th, and I'm just imagining that hat tensions are already high here in the city. Oh, you could say that they were brimming over. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I've been waiting for that one. Come on. <laughs> now, I'm going to read a report from uh, from the next day's New York Times. Yeah, we, just, we, we need to underscore from this point on because it's going to get more and more unbelievable. All of this, this is news. Like, this made the news, and oh. this all of this actually happened. <laughs> yeah, it act- th- we are not making this up. 
But actually, before I get to the article about the riot here on page eight that was published the next day on September 14th, I just want to kind of comment quickly upon a common theme that one sees when flipping through the preceding pages. Uh Um, Because I was flipping through this. You were flipping through American Hatter. I was flipping through this particular edition of the Times. Look, page three, there is a full page, rather sensationalist ad for the the store Truly Warner Headquarters for Hats, located at Mm -hmm. 24 East 42nd Street. And what made it so sensationalist? Well, the hat maker here, Truly Warner, claims that his new hat designs are so good that other stores are trying to copy him. And he got a judge. He has a little clip here that he includes, a newspaper clipping that it's not attributed. So who knows where he got that? But apparently he got a judge to grant an injunction allegedly against other competitors from oh. stealing his hot hat design. Um, mm-hmm. His his new style for the his new model for the season is called the Style Judge, um, and it's now on sale for just two dollars and eighty five cents. And he claims here that two hundred thousand young men are expected to select and buy that model this year. Two hundred thousand young men are going to get this hat. That is a that's a big business and a full page ad in the Times, presumably yeah. in time for this hat Passover. Just in case anybody looks it up, they'll notice it's nearly full page. There are a couple slender columns of articles next to it, including, I'm, I will mention, a very strange piece here. Um, <laughs> headline, double-jointed man aid in alleged fraud. Uh, 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 excuse me? He got, <laughs> what, a double-jointed man got locked up? Well, it's a little unclear in the story, but it seems like he just got a slap on the wrist. <sighs> No, too bad. (laughs) Anyway, but without getting sidetracked, yeah, Truly Warner, though, here wasn't alone. The next page has a display ad for Humans Fifth Avenue hats. The next page is a full page spread for Saxon Company. And then there's a big ad for Gimbal Brothers located down between 32nd and 33rd in Broadway. The Today, Herald Square, the site of Manhattan Mall. That's right. But Gimbal's was advertising women's hats. Okay, and then finally, the next page has the article about the riot next to an ad for Sarnoff Irving quality hats, deluxe quality for only two fifty. So hats were everywhere; they were on top of everyone's mind, <laughs> and and tops of their heads too. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> but finally, the article headline: Straw Hat Riots Embroil East Side. Courts and police give warning of jail after thousands of sky pieces are smashed. Seven wreckers are convicted. Quote, the inalienable right of a man to wear a straw hat in a snowstorm, if he desires, is to be upheld in the city by both police and the magistrates, and a warning was sent broadcast to all straw hat smashers last night that jail terms on assault charges awaited them if they started any such carnival today. On the theory that September 15th is the last day of the straw hat season and that they had the right to declare open season on straw hats on other person's heads, scores of rowdies on the east side and in other parts of the city started smashing hats last evening. There was danger of riots in three congested spots on the east side, 
police reserves were called out, straw hat bonfires were started, and seven men were convicted of disorderly conduct in the men's night courts. What mayhem here. (laughs) What shenanigans. So much to unpack in what you just read there. So... First of all, where were these incidents being reported? It says on the east side. Yeah, it, it, it just says it's scores of rowdies on the east side and in other parts of the city. And I should note that in other accounts of this first day of the riots here, I saw references, as I'm sure you did too, to a gang mm-hmm. that seemed to be targeting factory workers down on Mulberry Bend, uh, smashing their straw hats and and then unwisely deciding to target nearby dock workers who then promptly fought back, which led to an escalation of fighting that even moved up to the Manhattan Bridge. Wow, this is dramatic. Yeah, I just couldn't find any actual contemporaneous accounts of that in the papers. But the Times does suggest here that, quote, thousands of sky pieces, by which I think they mean hats, were smashed on that first day. And seven men were hauled into court. Uh, the article continues, quote, In imposing fines of $5 each on the seven men who were brought before him for the part that they had taken in a hat-smashing Saturnalia at Bowery and East Houston Street, um, the site of today's Whole Foods, Magistrate Peter A. Hatting said that the next men to come before him for breaking other person's hats would go to jail. Uh, Tom, would you like to repeat the name of that judge, please, just one more time so I mean, that our, is, listeners, yeah, so our listeners get it? It's the stuff you can't really make up. It's just unbelievable. The judge's name was Peter Hatting. Hatting is quoted saying, It is against the law to smash a man's hat, and he has a right to wear it in a January snowstorm if he wishes. To hit a man's hat is a simple assault, and in this court, it will be treated as such. And I want you to spread this word among all who would smash hats. A man's hat is just as much his property and just as much to be defended as his watch. As his watch. As his watch. And the courts are going to enforce the laws. All right. So the courts have taken a very clear position on this mm-hmm. and an, un- an unsurprising position that hat smashing is a crime. And this incident was reported upon all over the country. I found another piece the same day on the 14th that was published in the Standard Union newspaper in Brooklyn. They reported on Judge Hatting's decree and and stated that, quote, an estimated 5,000 straw lids were wrecked in riots that embroiled the east side of Manhattan yesterday. So 5,000 hats destroyed they they claim although they they mentioned that there were hat smashing parties as well in brooklyn uh but that no arrests were reported all of that all of which you just described happened on september 13th right reported the next day right that's correct and but here on the 14th things were clearly tense the the times article concluded that on the Lower East Side, an inspector Coleman told the patrolman to, quote, use a rigorous hand with all hat smashers and to arrest rowdies wholesale if they made trouble. Wow. Well, I mean, so it's one thing to wrap your head around. It might have gotten out of hand on one day, right? That there's mm-hmm. just people are like full of emotion or whatever. But the Straw Hat Riots... It's plural, because this would go on for several days. Yeah, I just can't 
really believe that people were so fixated on this particular moment to change hats. I mean, did the weather play into all of this? What was going on? Well, that's the insane part, right? So, so theoretically, the reason you change hats is because it's it's going to get colder, so you want to wear like a more fall-friendly look, right? Mm-hmm. But during this period, actually, all the papers reported that it was actually rather lovely warm weather. You know how New York City gets those really hot September days sometimes? You know those? I can't wait for those. <laughs> I know. You know, it probably made more sense to go out wearing a straw hat on a hot day, but no. So, how did this thing spread then? Well, perhaps it's best if, as you've done, I read directly from a few newspapers, because you may not believe that this really happened if I don't do this. So, I went to the Brooklyn Times Union from September 16th of that year. Quote, complaints by the hundred came to the police from citizens whose hats had been stolen or smashed on their heads. Young rowdies, armed with sticks in which there were nails, attacked wearers of straw hats. And by the way, I'll get back to the quote, but I read in several reports that this these sticks with nails in them were being wielded by some of these people, these hat smashers. That's no longer funny. No, exactly. That's horrifying. So back to the article, quote, Some of the straw hat smashing was done by children of 10 and 12, but there was, in the work, many who should have had more sense. The efforts of Magistrate Hatting to stop the straw hat demolition and protect those citizens who exercise their right to wear a hat of this kind are worthy of commendation. Well, there's old Judge Hatting again. And meanwhile, Deputy Ascot was manning the desk at the station. Oh. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's, that, that is not true. Um, from the same paper on the front page, quote, following a wild night in which gangs of hoodlums with sticks terrorized whole blocks in Brooklyn and made their victims run the gauntlet, hundreds of straw hats littered the streets, marking the official close of the season. Needless to say. I would say it did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But wait, what is that about running a gauntlet? Yeah, this is another kind of disturbing detail that I saw in a few reports. People in straw hats would have them smashed mm-hmm. and then would be forced to run between two rows of men who would whack them with sticks as they were running through. Oh, God. Horrible. Yeah. And was the same thing that was in Brooklyn, was it happening in other parts of the city? Yeah, by this point... All- all over. There were reported incidents in West Village in the area of today's Soho, in the Yorkville section of the Upper East Side, and eventually over to the Upper West Side from the New York Times that same day, September 16th. The headline, City Has Wild Night of Straw Hat Riots. Quote, One complaint was made of a gang swarming on an open streetcar and attacking the passengers to get their hats. A man telephoned the Times that this happened when he was riding uptown on an Amsterdam Avenue car between 135th and 136th Streets. He said the car was attacked by a group of boys who later disappeared, a mob of 1,000 who were destroying straw hats along Amsterdam Avenue. Okay, this is beginning to sound actually really dangerous. Several people were injured in these incidents and taken to the hospital. There was even a boy who was hit by a car and broke his leg. And yet the tone of this, this is like, it's confusing to me. It's, It's hard to discern exactly 
how these articles were received by New Yorkers, because the tone in many of these reports makes it sound like it's more of like dangerous hazing, you know, like mm. fraternity hazing. Mm-hmm. I even found a, a, a couple photographs, captions that frame all of this as if as though it were good-natured horseplay. Then on September 17th, the New York Times ran a report of a spate of hat smashing in Coney Island, but it was mentioned that the police actually looked the other way at most of it, as it was combined with other revelry due to the annual Coney Island Mardi Gras parade, which back then took place actually in mid-September. So it was seen or kind of coalesced into general rabble-rousing. And the police were just looking away. There was no fashion police. There, there were no fashion police. There was no magistrate hatting, you know, shaking his stick at this. But that must have really left people kind of you know, terrified. Or at least those people who were wearing straw hats must have been terrified. Yeah, but there was one particular group of people in New York who were actually pleased at all this mayhem. And that, of course, as you inferred earlier, that, of course, were the many hat shop owners in New York City. There was a huge run of sales over the next few days from people picking up the latest hat style in fear of this renegade mob. Wow. Like hoarding hats, if you will. Yes. That was 1922. Did it, did it get more unruly the next year? Uh, fortunately, it, it did not. Riots that tend to be based on fashion fads must themselves fall out of fashion. <laughs> and obviously the straw hat fell out of hat fashion. Well, not, not immediately, actually. People continued to wear straw hats throughout the decade here, throughout the Roaring Twenties, throughout the Jazz Age, the Great Gatsby Age. But this odd enforcement of straw hats, this very specific date, would more or less fade away in 1925 when President Calvin Coolidge would be photographed wearing a straw hat on September 18th. And nobody smashed it off his head. Oh, no. Gosh, no. So so it actually took, kind of like like so many other things, a celebrity to turn this fashion faux pas into basically a new trendy style. Yeah. Um, so by the Great Depression, the straw hat was essentially passe. It was really fading out of favor. And then from then on, many of those men who would have worn the straw hat, they turned to the new ascendant hat style, which would be... The fedora. And Tom, nobody messes with a fedora. So there you have it, listener. Thank you for joining us um, as we kind of wander down this, can we say weird historical alley, Greg? Uh, the, uh, uh, yes, The I would tale say. of the Straw Hat Riot of 1922. Check out our website, BoweryBoysHistory.com, for images of hats. And hat riots. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. And you'll also find us at home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at our homes. As we said earlier in the show, we are upping the frequency of our show here to twice a week uh, while we're recording remotely. But we thank you very much for your patience over the next couple of weeks as we sort of iron out the kinks and get used to this setup. 
this, what we're doing right now, would not be possible without the generosity of those who support us on Patreon.com. So for just a small contribution each month, we can keep the lights on here at the Bowery Boys. And as a thank you, we'll be providing you with bonus audio. There's some free merch goodies for those who want them and many other extras. Yes, thank you so much, patrons. We we say it, you know, in every show, but it's so true. It's even more true now than ever um, that we can only make this show because of your support. So thank you so much for joining us on patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. And we just wanted to give a very special thank you this week to some of our newest patrons, including Kenneth L., Sarah A., Keith K., Eileen J, Amelia K, and Wendy C. Welcome, new patrons. We're so happy to have you join us. So thank you very much for joining us. Yes, and we will see you again this Friday. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.